Let's take our Bible and go to Psalm 119. I'm going to preach Psalm 119. A part of it. A part of it. Have to qualify that. There are 176 verses. But I'm only going to preach eight of them. Psalm 119, verses 129 to 136. And I have the joy this afternoon of preaching a sermon that I've entitled The Majestic Glory and the Divine Perfection of Holy Scripture. I am excited to preach from the Word of God about the Word of God. What a great topic for us to study. Follow with me. Psalm 119 beginning in verse 129. You see a little word pay there. That is the Hebrew letter pay. That means every word in the next eight verses that I'm going to read here begins with that Hebrew letter pay. Verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. Establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of water, because they do not keep your law. The story is told of a a true story of a man in the country of Zimbabwe, He was a Christian. He was engaging in a conversation with an unbelieving man. The unbeliever was a belligerent man. He was a hostile blasphemer. And the believer was talking with him and seeking to share Christ with him and seeking to open the word and give Bible verses to him. And finally, the Christian said to this unbeliever, let me give you a Bible and just read the Bible. And this belligerent unbeliever said, you give me a Bible And I'm going to roll the pages and use them to make cigarettes and smoke it. And the Christian said, okay, I understand that. But if I give you this Bible, you have to make this promise to me. That you will read every page before you smoke it. The man said, deal. The Christian gave him a Bible. And off he went. Fifteen years later, there was a Bible conference in Zimbabwe. That Christian saw that familiar face, and he went up to him. And he said, I know you. I gave you a Bible all those many years ago. The man said, let me tell you what happened. You gave me that Bible, and I smoked all of Matthew. I read it. And then I smoked all of Mark. And he said, I smoked all of Luke. But when I got to John, I got to John chapter 3. And I read the whole page in my Bible. And I couldn't smoke it. Because there was one verse that kept coming into my mind. And it was this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The man said, I was changed that moment in my heart and I've lived for Jesus ever since. Truly, Hebrews 4 verse 12 is right. The word of God is living and active. Do you believe it? I do as well. Can't you say that though? This book 
has changed my life. You can say that? We, we, could, we could tell stories all afternoon how the word of the living God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it cuts, it pierces so deep into the innermost part of the man. That's why Martin Luther, when he was commenting about the Bible, he said, he said the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It's like the Bible has feet and it runs after me. And he said, the Bible has hands and it lays hold of me. Do you know anything of that? That this book is alive. That this book has grabbed hold of you. It's, it's like the Bible just runs after you. It's like the Bible grabs hold of you. It's like the Bible won't let you go. Do you, do you know anything of this? Do you know the power of the Word of God? Do you know the, the treasure it is of having the Word of God? Do you embrace the authority of the Bible? You know, there have always been occasions where people have been religious and they've maybe known the Bible, but they didn't submit to it. You know how many occasions in the Gospels Jesus rebuked the religious leaders because they didn't know, they didn't read, they didn't understand the Scriptures. Let me just give you a sampling of Scriptures. Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said to the religious leaders, did you never read in the scriptures? In Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus said, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures. In Mark 12, verse 10, Jesus said, have you not even read this in scripture?" Luke 4.21, early in his public ministry, Jesus said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In Matthew 12, verses 3 and 5, Jesus said, Have you not read what David did? Or have you not read in the law? Matthew 19.4, have you not read he who created them, male and female? Matthew 22, 31, Jesus said, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And and not only in the Gospels, just think with me of, of the book of Acts and elsewhere in the Scriptures. Paul in Acts 17, he's in the pagan city of Athens, and the Apostle Paul, Acts 17, verse 2, reasoned from the Scriptures. In Acts 18, 24, we read about the man Apollos who was mighty in the scriptures. 2 Peter 3, 16, there are sinners who distort the scriptures and they do so to their own destruction. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 23, 28, the prophet may, who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. There's people that say, I had all kinds of dreams and all kinds of feelings, and God told me this, and God told me that in our day. Show me from the Bible. Show me from the Bible. Whoever has a dream, relate his dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Relate your dream, but whoever has the word of God, speak it forth in truth. My goal today is to read the word of God and to speak God's word forth in truth. We are in a battle for the Bible. We are in a battle for the Bible because God has revealed himself clearly and truly and sufficiently in this book right here, the Bible. And God, the Holy Spirit, speaks only by and with his written word, not apart from the written word, but by and with the written word. And I want to teach on that today. I want to extol the majesty of the word. I want to extol the glory of the word. And let me remind you, a couple of weeks ago, January 1st, we began the year by sort of reflecting on the mission of the church. What is the purpose of the church? Remember Colossians 1? We proclaim Christ, admonishing every man. So our goal and our mission as a church is to be faithful to proclaim Christ 
for the purpose of building up every man so that we would be complete in Christ by the power that God himself supplies. And then last week, I preached on the glory of Christ, the majesty of Christ from Colossians 1. Remember, he is God, he is creator, he is sustainer, he is Lord, he is preeminent, he is savior. And all these great marks of Jesus in his majesty and his glory, we want to be about him. Today, I want to preach about the majestic glory of scripture. Next week, we're going to, I'm going to preach on the majestic glory of prayer But today, I want to preach on the majestic glory of Scripture. Now, as we look at these verses in Psalm 119, verses 129 to 136, I want you to see that God's Word is so divinely glorious. It is glorious, and because it is glorious, you and I must do four things. Because the Bible is so glorious. The majesty of the word, the divine perfection of Holy Scripture, because it is so glorious, because it is so perfect, because it is divine, we must do four things. Number one, we must love it. Number two, we must learn from it. Number three, we must long for it. And number four, we must live in it. Let's begin with number one. Number one, church family, as we extol the majestic glory of Scripture, because the word is so glorious, number one, you must love, love all of it. And that's what we read right here in Psalm 119. In verse 97, the psalmist said, oh, how I love your law. Later on, in Psalm 119, verse 159, David says, How I love your precepts. But look at your copy of the Bible in verse 129. Look at this here. I want you to see it in your own Bible. Your testimonies are wonderful. Wonderful. God's testimonies are wonderful. The word wonderful is actually fronted for emphasis in the Hebrew. And not only is it fronted for emphasis, it's plural for intensity. And the word in Hebrew means wonderful, extraordinary, jaw-dropping things. Your word is so awesome. The idea in the Hebrew is that God's word is so different that it causes wonder. It causes wonder. It's often translated as a miracle in the Old Testament. A miracle or something that is wonderful, like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. A son will be born, a son will be given, and you will call his name Wonderful. He's the awesome, the miraculous, the jaw-dropping one who is so different from all the rest. Jesus is wonderful. And here, verse 129, God's testimonies are wonderful. So because God's word is so divinely awesome, because it is thoroughly perfect and majestically authoritative, you and I must keep them. Look at the end of verse 129. If God's word is so awesome, my soul, end of verse 129, observes them. My soul observes them. The Hebrew is, I will search it out. I will seek out your word. I want to know your word. I want to seek it. I want to search it. I want to guard it. I want to keep it. I want to know your word. It reminds me of that account in the Old Testament of King Josiah. Do you remember that account in in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 22 when when Josiah, the young boy, is eight years old when he becomes king and as a young man he's seeking the Lord and there's so much ungodliness that had gone on in, in the kingship of Judah before Josiah. And he takes the kingship and he he begins to bring reforms, but why does he bring 
reforms to the land, it's because they find the book of the law in the temple. I mean, to be like somebody cleaning the church and they're like, I found a Bible in the church. They find the book of the law in the temple, in the house of the Lord. And Josiah says, read it for me. So they read the book of the law for King Josiah. What is the first thing he does? He tears his robes in humility and repentance and sorrow. And then he takes immediate action by cleansing and clearing out the land of all the idols and all the false places of worship. I love your word. I love your law. I want to keep it diligently. Christian, can I remind you? This book is unique. Can I remind you, Christian, that this book is extraordinary? Every other book contains error because it was written by men. And it may need to be revised, or it may need to be updated, or it may need to change with the times, but not so with the Bible. Every book, other than the Bible, has been written by mere men only. But you and I have God's Word. Written by men as they were carried along by God the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean? What does this mean for you and me? This means, Christian, you and I should use and know and love the Bible. We ought to know the Bible. We ought to counsel from the Bible. We ought to sing the Bible. We ought to preach the Bible. We ought to pray the Bible. We ought to cherish and love the Bible. Thomas Watson said Christians should be walking Bibles. Why? Because God's testimonies are exceedingly amazing. They're wonderful. They're miraculous. There's nothing like it. And so you and I say, I love God's law and I want to observe and keep God's law. Christian, if your Bible talked... If your Bible talked, would your copy of the Bible testify and say, I know that he loves me because he opens me every day and he reads me every day and he studies me every day and he talks about me every day and he carries me with him every day. Would your Bible say that about you? I know that he loves me because he spends so much time with me. And that's what the psalmist is saying here in verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. Oh, Christian, because the word of God is so divinely glorious, number one, we ought to love, love all of it. Number two, if you're taking notes, because the word of God is so divinely glorious, number two, you and I must learn from it. Learn from it. Now, I could go with some of you to wash you. And you could take me to your class on advanced cell biology. And I would hear it, but I wouldn't understand a thing that is being said. I would need tremendous help. I would need light. I would need insight. I would need a miracle. I would need clarification. I would need depth. But, but verse 130 right here is not just about you and I needing a tutor, like I might need a tutor for that class. This isn't just that. We need divine light. We need a divine intervention. Look at verse 130. I pray this so often before I preach. I pray it for me and I pray it for you. Verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The unfolding. What what, what do you mean unfolding? What do you mean the unfolding of your word? The Hebrew word means doorway. The doorway. The doorway. The opening of God's words. The doorway into God's word gives light. It, It enlightens. What does that mean? God's word gives discernment. We need right interpretation. Which is interesting because in verse 130, the the psalmist says we need the opening or the unfolding of the word. And then earlier in verse 102, the emphasis is on God 
as the divine opener. Psalm 102, 119 verse 102, you yourself have taught me. And then 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then earlier in verse 18, we read that we need God to open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things from God's law. So the psalmist is acknowledging that I am hindered like a, like a blindfold. I cannot see the wonders of God's law. I'm blinded. I need God's help. I need divine activity. I need God to open his word. It's not just a human tutor. It's not just another human commentary. It's not just a good software program to help us out. I need God to give light. And that's what Psalm 119 verse 130 is saying. The opening, the unfolding of God's word gives light. And God is the one who gives it. Do you remember in Luke chapter 24 when Jesus is is on the road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples and Jesus had preached about himself from the scriptures? Amazing. Don't you wish you were there for that sermon? But then the text says in Luke 24, verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's what we're talking about here. It's divine illumination. We need a God work to give us light in the study of his word. In fact, take your Bible and go with me to 1 Corinthians 2. Let me show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to begin in verse 6, and I want to show you just how important it is for you and I to have divine illumination in the Word. Real quick, as you're turning there, this is important because you can read the Bible with a non-believer. It makes sense to you, they don't get it. You submit to it, they don't. They might get the words and what it says, but they don't understand the true meaning and the application of it with a worshipful heart. Why? Because the Lord needs to open their minds. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor are the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. It is the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What does that mean? We have God's wisdom in the word of God, but the world doesn't get it. The world doesn't understand it. They don't have a category for this. Verse 9, just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. How do you know the meaning of Scripture? You know it through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Do you hear that? You can't understand the Bible truly and really and genuinely until the Spirit of God gives you light. That's why verse 12 tells us this. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we might know the things freely given to us by God. This isn't some mystical Pentecostal type thing. You and I can say, I know the meaning of the Bible because the Spirit of God has given us light. Verse 13, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Do you see that? A non-believer can't. Do you see that? They can't. They can't accept, nor receive, nor embrace, nor submit to the things of the Spirit of God. It's foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because these things are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we know this? 
We have the mind of Christ right here in Scripture. It's revealed in Scripture. Just turn over a chapter to First Corinthians, pardon me, Second Corinthians. Turn over a book, Second Corinthians, chapter three. In Second Corinthians three, the very end, verses seventeen and eighteen. How, how do we get this learning, this unfolding? How do we get this light? Look at 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. How does all of that work? It comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God who gives us light in the reading of His Word as believers. Now back to Psalm 119, because I want to show you what the unfolding of God's Word does as God gives illumination. Back to Psalm 119, verse 130, the unfolding of the Word of God gives light, and it gives understanding to the simple. Ah, what a great word, the word simple here. It's the word open-minded. That's not a good thing in the book of Proverbs. But it's, it's, it's quite a virtue in our culture. Many parents say, I send my kids to public school, I send them to university, I'll let them figure it out. They'll figure out whatever they want to worship, if they want to follow my religion or whatever. No, no, no. The Bible does not have good things to say about being open-minded. The scripture says the unfolding of the word gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. What does that mean? They're foolish. They're naive. They're open-minded. They are foolish and just taking everything as it comes. Careful. This guy is all around us. Mr. Simple Naive is everywhere in our society. Proverbs 14, 15 describes him as being inexperienced and vulnerable. They don't know much. And these kind of naive Open-minded people, they don't know much because they're far too trusting of everyone and they're far too trusting of themselves. This is a person who's sucked into this worldview or they're sucked into that ideology or they go into that thought or that idea or that trend. He's just driven by every wave of culture. And he's just open to everything. That's where we need the Bible. We need God's word to guard us, to guide us, to help us, to teach us. And that's why Acts chapter 17 is so helpful when the Apostle Paul is in the city of Berea. And those in Berea were more noble-minded because they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So you and I want to be Bereans. You and I want to learn from the scriptures and test everything by the scriptures. So really practically Christian, you open your Bible, you read it. You're at home preparing for corporate worship. Fathers, you're leading your family in family worship. What do you do? Father, give light. As we read the word of God, as I'm reading it privately with my wife, with my family, with our church family, give light, give illumination, unfold your word to us. Something that is a supernatural endeavor. You and I can't do it in our own power. We need God to come. And we need God to give this illumination. And that's what the psalmist extols in verse 130. Love the word. We learn from the word as it is unfolded to us by the Holy Spirit. Third, if you're taking notes, number three, because God's word is so divinely glorious, number three, you and I must long for it. We must long for it. Long for the word of God. It's like those in a remote village in China. The Bible was translated into their language, into their dialect. And the video shows that they ran, they, they ran to the hut 
to get their own copy of the Bible. They were running. They were hurrying. It's like they were panting. They wanted God's word. They wanted a copy of Scripture. Look at verse 131 of our psalm. I opened my mouth wide and I panted, for I longed for your commandments. Oh, I opened my mouth wide. I'm panting. The Hebrew word for pant is I'm gasping. I'm longing. It's like somebody who's needing air. It's like an animal. It's like an animal who's running hard and then he finally stops and he's panting for water. That creature has been running and it's tired and it's panting for water. That's what David does here in verse 131. He's thirsting for God's answers. It's like, I'm dying to know God's will. I want God's book. Give it to me. It reminds me of that account in Luke chapter 10. Do you remember that account at the very end of Luke chapter 10? It's kind of tucked away at the end. It's the account of Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Martha was busy, and Martha was doing all the preparations, and she was distracted, and she was worried, and she was bothered about so many things, but, but Mary was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to the word. Jesus commended her in Luke 10, 42, only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Notice Mary's priority. There's other things that need to be done. But there's a priority of hearing the word of God. Notice her posture. She is seated at the Lord's feet. And and notice her pursuit and her longing for Christ. I want to be with him. I want to hear from him. Back to our psalm. The psalmist says in verse 131, I open my mouth wide and I pant because I I long for your commands. Now, the word long in Hebrew at the end of verse 131 is a rare word. It means to intensely crave something. It means to intensely crave. You could say, I crave chocolate. If you're in the Kirkland family, we crave sushi all the time. But do you crave God's word? Do do we pant for God's word? Do, Do we hurry to be with God in his word? It is impossible to thrive spiritually and just be mediocre in our love for Scripture. I've never met a counselee in a biblical counseling relationship where they come to me with their problems and they lay it all out and they give me it all in the form and they tell me everything that's going on in their life and I say, well, how's your Bible reading? Nobody's ever said, I'm doing great in the Bible reading. Nobody's ever said that. We want to long, greatly desire. But hold on. Maybe you're here. And if you're honest, maybe you would say, Jeff, I don't desire God's word like this. What do I do? You say, Jeff, I hear what you're saying, and I see what David says in verse 131, but let me just be honest, I don't crave God's word. Let me give you five things. Very simple, very quick. Number one, you need to confess it as sin. Confess it as sin. Number two, you need to obey the Lord and read his word, even if you don't feel like it. And then number three, as you're reading the word, even though you might not feel like it, you then take a verse, maybe a phrase. And you memorize it and you take it with you during the day. You're holding on to a promise. 
This is God's signature. It's his promise. It's his handprint to you. It's God's very own word to you. You memorize it. You go with it. Then, number four, you speak and share that truth with another. Oh, that's so important. You speak and share that with another. And then, number five, at the end of the day, you close the day by thanking God for that verse. And then guess what? The next day, you do the same thing over again. Why? Because there's power in the word of God. It is the word of God that comforts us. It is the word of God that carries us. It is the word of God that guards us. It is the word of God that satisfies us. It's the word of God that you need. You'll never grow spiritually as you grow distant from the word. We repeat it daily, daily, daily. And you believe God in his word that there is blessing Verse 31, I open my mouth wide and I pant and I long for your word. I believe that there is blessing in your word. Christian, may the Lord help me and you that we would long for God's word and pant for it like this. So if you're taking notes, then what have we seen? Because God's word is so glorious. Number one, you and I ought to love it. Number two, we ought to learn from it. Number three, we ought to long for it. Now, finally, number four, we must live in it. Live in it. Now, this is great. You and I need to live in this book. You go to WashU Med School. You go to a university. You go to a place where somebody is all in in their major. They're all in in their studies. And they got books. And they got things that they're reading. And it's with them all the time. Let's live in the word of God as we have it with us all the time. To walk in this book, to let the Bible be your guide, to be your companion, to be your GPS, to be your compass. Let it be your map. Let it be your captain. Look, you and I have this little thing with us all the time, don't we? Do you take God's word with you as you live your life? Is God's word in your heart? Is it in your hand, in your mouth? I have a sheet of paper downstairs in my office that I will often pray through. It's just counsels from a Puritan pastor written to another pastor. One of his counsels was this to a young minister of the gospel. Whatever you read in the world, read twice as much in the word. Did you hear that? Whatever you read in the world, read twice as much in the word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What a precious book we have. God has given us his word, his book, so that we can know him and live in this book. But you might say, Jeff, how do I live in the Bible? How do I live in this book? In verse 132, the first divine counsel for us is to pursue your God. Pursue your God. Look at verse 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. What is the psalmist saying in verse 132? You could make this your prayer tonight before bed. You could make it your prayer tomorrow morning. Lord, turn to me. Lord, be gracious to me. What is the psalmist doing? God, I want you and your word to totally influence my life. I want your presence. I want your grace. I want your favor. I want your smile. And that's what our God does. He he blesses. He blesses those who honor and love his name. You, You know George Mueller, don't you? The... The man in London and generation or two past, listen to his good example. He said, I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had good time in the word of God. Friends often say, I've got so much to do. I'm so busy and so many people to see that I can't find time to read my Bible. 
But Mueller said, but, but I've always made it a rule never to begin my work until I have had a good season with God and his word. And then he said this, the blessing that I have received has been wonderful. Which is just a great personal resolve right there to pursue God and live in this book. Turn to me, be gracious to me like you do with those who love your name. Well, how do you live in the book? Well, you have to pursue your God. Also, a second divine counsel is found in verse 133. You got to get this. Second, walk in truth. Walk in truth. Verse 133, establish my footsteps in your word and don't let any iniquity have dominion over me. Maybe in the ESV, in your translation, you have this, keep steady my steps. You know why we need this? Because you and I can be unsteady and unpredictable. We can vacillate. We, we need the Bible to keep us fixed and to keep us courageous. Through the Bible, verse 133, we are established. We are established to live for God. Do you hear that, Christian? There's no other way. There's no other way to be established for a life of service to God than to be in the word of God. So we want to go deep. We want to go deeper in the word of God. And I love the Hebrew of verse 133. It's established. It means God make me fixed and firm and unshakable. The same Hebrew word for establish is found in the book of Judges. You'll like this. In Judges 16, 26, remember when Samson, at the end of his life, Samson, the mighty man Samson, was in that house with all the Philistines, and and he said, let me feel the pillars upon which the house is established. A house is established like this? Yeah, establish my heart in the word of God like that. Maybe another way to render it in Hebrew is cement my heart in the word of God. Let it be strong, cement-like, established. Give me a deep foundation in your word. It's like saying, oh Lord, plant me deep down and plant me immovable and unshakable in the rock foundation of scripture. Psalm 1 has a lot to say about that. Blessed is the man who meditates on the word. I take verse 133 as a fighter verse. I have fighter verses. I'm a biblical counselor. And so often I'll say to men and women, you need to have a fighter verse so that in the moment of temptation, you've got something that you can go to. And this is a great verse. Establish my footsteps in your word. Why? Don't let any iniquity have dominion over me. Christian. We as believers ought not to have a choice or a favorite sin. You and I ought to have no darling pet sin. We ought to have no iniquity in which we coddle. No hidden part of our life. Quite simply, don't be a hypocrite. We don't want to worship on Sunday and then dive into porn on Monday. Don't sing on Sunday and then slander others on Tuesday. Don't read the Bible in the morning and then curse God in the evening. Don't sit under the word on Sunday and live indulging the world all week long. What's the verse saying in verse 133? God, establish me deep in the word. Give me a holy violence as I pursue you. Help me to live and love like Jesus as I establish my life in your word. We need to be armed with the word of God. We need to be armed with God's word. It is the sword of the spirit, Ephesians 6. Proverbs 2 tells us that God's word will guard you from the evil man and the seductive woman. 
So we need to live in the word of God. How do we do it? Let me give you number three, a third divine counsel. It's found in verse 134. Pray for protection. I'm believing more and more that you and I will cherish verses like this in the dark days in which we live. Look at verse 134. Redeem me from the oppressions of man so that I may keep your precepts. Do you remember in Acts chapter 4 when the apostles are, 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 are preaching and then they're arrested and then they're, they're, they're told not to preach anymore and then they go to the church and the church gathers in praise and then the church says in Acts 4.29, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that we, your bondservants, may speak your word with all confidence. Lord, do you see their threats? Do you see the oppressions? Do you see what they're doing, Lord? Give us courage and boldness to to live for you and to speak with boldness. Now, if you and I had our Hebrew Bibles open, you and I would kind of chuckle at the Hebrew because in verse 134, listen carefully, when it says, redeem me from the oppression of Man, There's a a lot of words in Hebrew for man. But there's one that kind of stands out from them all. And it kind of talks about weak, dust-like creatures. That's the word here. Oh, they might be oppressing believers. They might be threatening believers. They might come with all of their power and force. The psalmist says, they're just dust-like weaklings before God. They're they're dust-like. They're weak. God, redeem me so that I can keep your precepts. I'm reminded of Nehemiah. Remember the story of Nehemiah and his leadership, especially in Nehemiah chapter 6? The enemies are plotting against the Jews. They've come back from exile. They're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And they're plotting against the Jews, and they're plotting against Nehemiah's leadership, and in verses 1 to 4, they want to distract Nehemiah. And then in verses 5 to 9, they want to discourage Nehemiah. And then in verses 10 to 14, they try to deceive Nehemiah. But he prays. He prays. He prays in Nehemiah 6, verse 9, and verse 14, and in verse 16, he prays, God, remember me. God, remember what I've done. God, deliver us from our enemies, from those who are oppressing us. Let me remind you of what Martin Luther said. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. Why? Because, lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Church family, let me just remind you. We are warriors for truth. We are warriors for truth. And as you and I have and hold and love and live in the word of God, we're going to be rejected by the world. We're not looking for it. We're not wanting that. But we belong to a whole different kingdom, a whole different realm. But Satan fears the word of God. Satan hates the word of God. He trembles before the word of God. And ultimately and finally, he will obey the word of God. And if he can't take away your salvation, which he can't, Christian, boy, would he love to distract you. 
He would love to distract you, and he would love to cast doubt on the word of God. Did God really say? Did he really say? We're going to have a lot of enemies and a lot of oppressions of man. Verse 134, God redeem us from the difficult oppressions of these weaklings so that we can keep your precepts. Let me give you a fourth divine counsel just briefly as we continue this. Number four, how do we live in this word? Number four, we pray, unveil your glory. Unveil your glory. Verse 135, make your face to shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Oh, oh Lord, would, would you cause your face to shine upon me like the Levitical priests? Bless the congregation of Israel. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5, Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Oh, for that day when we live in the realm where the face of Christ will shine brightly forever. And we will behold it. But now, but now we're longing for that by faith. We are praying to God, show me your glory, verse 135. Make your face to shine upon me. There's no better way to learn the truth of God and to see the face of God than to study him in the word. Do you want to hear God speak? Do you want to know the living God? Then read the Bible. You want to hear him speak out loud? Then read the Bible out loud. God speaks through his word. Make your face to shine upon me. How does that happen? Teach me your statutes. I was reading this week about a a man by the name of Dr. Buchanan. Dr. Buchanan was a, a man of God long ago who was working hard to revise the Syriac. Translation of the New Testament, kind of lived in the Syria-Iraq plateau. As he was translating and working on it, he suddenly stopped one day and he burst into tears. People said, Dr. Buchanan, are you okay? He said, I'm okay. I'm just overcome with the delights of this project. Every fresh study I have seems to throw fresh light on the word of God. And it gives me additional joy and comfort to my mind. Christian, do you know anything of what Dr. Buchanan describes right here? That that we pray, God, make your face to shine upon us. We see the Lord as we read about him in the word. We see the blessing of God. We receive the smile of God as we study him, as he teaches us from his statutes. What an amazing, an amazing God. There's one more. One more divine counsel. How do we live in this word? How do we live in the word? Number five, we have to weep over transgressors. Now, get this. And this is convicting for me, maybe for you as well. Verse 136, my eyes shed. Now, I have streams of water in my NASB. The Hebrew is let my eyes pour out irrigation canals. It's a figure of speech, deep sorrow, anguish of soul. Why? Because there is grief and sorrow and pain over those who disobey God's word. This isn't just looking at the culture and saying, what a wicked culture. This isn't that. This isn't pointing the finger at the culture. This is a deep grief in the heart. Why? Because there are those who claim to know God and they've turned away from God. My eyes shed streams of water because they don't keep your Luke 19, Jesus comes to Jerusalem and he weeps. 
It's in Matthew 23, Jesus weeps. Paul did this in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. He wept over his Jewish people who did not believe. Paul in Philippians 3 wept over those who are enemies of the gospel. I want God to give me tears over the lost. May God give me and you this burden for souls as we love him and we love his truth. We're burdened for lost souls. Fanny Crosby, the hymn writer, she counseled in her hymn, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. This is an eight-verse stanza in Psalm 119 of someone who loves the word. Someone who is overwhelmed by the majesty of the word, by the divine glory of the word. Oh, he loves the word. He learns the word. He longs for the word. He wants to live in the word. If we had the time, we could talk about how the Bible teaches the inspiration of Scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 3, that when you read the Bible, it's the breathed out communication, Word of God. We could go to Psalm 19 and learn about the inerrancy of the Word of God. We could go to Matthew 24, verse 35, learn about the eternality. The heavens and the earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away, Jesus said. We could learn about the infallibility of Scripture from John 10, 35. What does that mean? God's word will never fail. Jesus said the Scripture cannot be broken. We learn about the dual authorship, how men chosen by God wrote, real men with their personalities and background and style and grammar and syntax, and yet God is the one who carried their hand along so that the human author wrote exactly what God wanted them to write from 2 Peter chapter 1. We could learn about the divine promises of Scripture from 2 Peter 1 that are divinely glorious and precious. We could go to Romans 15 and learn about hope, hope that we have from Scripture. We could go to Jeremiah 23, verse 29, and read about the power of Scripture, how God's Word is like a hammer that shatters a rock. I agree. I agree with the Puritans that God has not given to the church any gift more precious than Scripture. You know what I'm reminded of sometimes, church family? I tell my kids this. There are two things that are going to remain forever. The Word of God and the souls of men. Are you investing in that which will go on forever. Give me this book at all costs. Give me this book. I want to read it, know it, study it, love it, obey it at all costs. Give me this book. If you're to be growing in Christ, it happens as you grow in Scripture. But I'll tell you, you've heard this and you know this, but let me just say it again, church family. You cannot, you cannot grow in Jesus if you don't have a regular daily diet in the Word of God. You can't. I mean, that'd be like saying, I'm going to try to be really strong. I'm just not going to eat. It is the Word of God that saves, 1 Peter 1, and it is the Word of God that sanctifies. John chapter 17. So in closing, John Wesley, the great evangelist, he once said, I am a man of one book. Could you say that here today? 
I'm a man or a woman of one book. I pray that this will be your declaration and your affirmation and your confession. That the divine glories of scripture would so grab hold of your heart. That you would say, I am a man of one book. Give me that book. Give me that precious book. I am a man of one book. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the power of Holy Scripture. And yes, it teaches us who you are and who we are, and it teaches us our need for the gospel and our need for a Savior and who our Savior is. May we be a church family that loves and cherishes and appreciates and meditates upon your word. May it be precious to us. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.